on the last exciting episode of Motorsport 101. Uh, I don't want to make a prediction. Everybody looks good. There are no teams that obviously look like they're in serious, serious trouble that their drivers cannot get them out of or that their teams cannot get them out of. And the gun has sounded, so Hinchcliffe will not make the Indy 500 in terms of qualifying on time. Oh, this is gut-wrenching. This, this, this is gut-wrenching stuff here. Barring a potential driver change, James Hinchcliffe will not be making the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. Um, I can explain. Welcome back uh, to Motorsport 101. You are the world champion! Like, this podcast is totally not a therapy session for me, the deputy mayor of Hinchtown. Welcome to episode 140 of Motorsport 101. Uh, this is this is my friend and yours, the slightly morny uh, Harrison 101 on this one, formerly known as Andre Harrison. And with me on this week's show, this time around, we have Mr. Ryan King, smug as all hell. Hello, sir. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I, yeah, bump day. That was exciting. Indeed, indeed. Um, I may have had no less than 14 heart attacks. Um, representing Nashville, Tennessee, as always, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Um, can can I come out from under the table now? Apparently it's safe. I can't guarantee it, but uh, I think it's safe okay. to come out now. <laughs> okay, that's fine. What are you doing with that knife? Please, please put it away. <laughs> And what making her Motorsport 101 return? She is Glasgow's finest ship poster. Welcome back, Zoe Hamilton, everybody. Yay! Much disappointment at the lack of fight between Sage Carum and James Davidson at the back of um, the local Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> we know which one we're talking about. That's the Taco Bell of champions at Indianapolis. The one where you may or may not be held at gunpoint, depending on who drives in. <sighs> Yeah, people always talk about Jonathan Bird's cafeteria and its significance to the Indianapolis 500. Well, with all apologies to James Davison's main benefactors here, I believe that Taco Bell on that street is uh, is much more interwoven into the Indianapolis 500 lore at this point, especially in modern years. But who's to say? Indeed. Indeed. Oh, my God. We, we actually, you know what? This is going to be quite a streamlined show this time around. Only the one podcast this time around this week. Um, we're going yeah, to ram through a lot of the miscellaneous news. We'll get through Formula E, which certainly existed. We'll go through that. And we'll talk about Bump Day, the qualifying session that shocked the world and, as mentioned, gave me about 15 heart attacks. But first, we'll, we'll give you a quick wrap-up of places where you can find us. Um, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Remember the URL. Day of Classics free this Sunday. Live on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. The Monaco Grand Prix. 
and the Indianapolis 500, the 102nd running of the Indy 500. Now, just a quick heads up, I will not be there for the Monaco race because I am working until 3 in the afternoon, but I will be there for the main event of the evening, the Indy 500. What you've all been waiting for, clearly. Um, I'm sure King and RJ will suffer through Monaco on my behalf. Um, thanks, Fairness, much appreciated. Um, thanks. For yeah, let's, let's just say alcoholic beverages will be involved, despite how early in the morning it'll be. Somebody break out the absinthe for in for a good time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that's right. Motorsport 101, the only race cars podcast that condones day drinking. You're welcome. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere, RJ. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, we're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King at RJ O'Connell, and at We Zoe. It's exactly how you think it is in Scottish because apparently that's its own language. Um, we are also, you can check out the website at motorsport101.net. Pleased to announce, very pleased to announce that Hazel Southall will be writing for us over there now. Yeah! Um, for me, pretty much the best Formula E journalist on the planet. I am honoured. It's, it's like... We <laughs> It's like we signed Giancarlo Stan. It's brilliant. Of course you would use that as a Yankees reference. How dare you, King? Um, but, uh, but like, seriously, I've, I, I genuinely think Hazel's the best Formula E journalist on the planet, and she chose to support more free journalism by sending us articles for free. So we're honoured to have her presence on the written part of the, part of the section. She's got a fantastic piece up that went up yesterday talking about the future of the series in general because they're heading to a totally non-political, controversial place, um, which we'll get to in about 10-15 minutes time. Um, let's check that out already. I put a post up there as well today on the May 22nd talking about, well, bike-related championship dominance as uh, Mark Marquez and Jonathan Ray have decided to open the can once again on their respective two-wheeled franchises this year. More on that on Bike Live as well, which I've got another thing to tell you about that in just a second as well. But yeah, most101.net, check it out as well. Um... And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Massive thanks again to Olivia who backed us during last week's recording. <laughs> Which, for me, is probably going to be the end of year montage. is one of the funniest moments in M101 history. So, well done, Olivia. You got you, you, you caused me to crack live live during a taping. That doesn't happen very often. Um, that was a thing of beauty. $5 gets you early access to this show and to Bike Live. Episode 60 is available for just $1, and there was a reason for that. It was because it was our 200th show. Um, if, you, if you combine all the M101s, the, the one special we did for the first international draft, and the 60 Bike Lives, we are now at 200 shows. Um, that's about 190 more than we first planned. Um, that's kind of ridiculous. So, sincerely on behalf of everybody here, Thank you for listening to us for 200 goddamn shows, you crazy people. Um, and thank you to everybody who's just started to listen after they realize they have to be typing in Motorsport 101 instead of Harrison 101. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We love Kid you, Karen. Thank you so much for your support. 
<laughs> your misguided but still, you know, good intentional support. Kieran, you're the man. <laughs> yeah, look, get a lot of episodes to catch up on. <laughs> Don't worry, like, just do what Kenny did. Just go from the start and listen backwards. That, that, that girl is a trooper. Hi, Kelly. Um, you're the best. Um, but, uh, of course, if you back us for $10. Wow, RJ got a lot more British and a lot better at his job over time. What the hell? <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's really cool, isn't it? But like I said, five dollars gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live. Bike Live episode sixty went live this past Monday. It's uh, yeah, it's named Thank You Keenan. Um, talking about all the action of World Superbikes in Imola. Um, a tribute to the the, the great Keenan Sofoglu who retired at this uh, he retired of his final race at Imola this weekend, although he didn't actually race. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You'll have to listen to the show for the full context on that one. Jonathan Ray taking a double victory as well in Imola. Uh, another brilliant super sport race won by Jules Clazel. Um, his second win in a row. And Anna Carrasco whooping that ass in the 300 class as, as well. Because, hey, nothing quite says badass women in motorsport like winning an 11-lap race by 14 seconds. What a girl. Um, also, listen and check out later this week. Episode 61 will be up later this week. All the action from Le Mans and a 40-minute interview. We had a 40-minute sit-down interview with Greg Haynes of British Eurosport um, and obviously multiple black reporter for MCN and um, and play-by-play man as well for World Superbikes as well. Every time we say it's going to be a 15-20 minute show, Greg gives us long answers and we end up just recording the whole thing. He's brilliant. Greg, we love you, man. Um, <laughs> thanks for that one. That'll be on Bike Live uh, later this week as well. 10 bucks gets you access to our Discord server so you can listen to this show as it goes out um, as well. So, without further ado, after this musical interview, Let's get into the news. Alrighty then. So, shall we quickly gloss over the first part of Day of Classics? Free tomorrow because uh, yes. there's some Grand Prix going down in Monaco. Yes, um, there will be champagne bottles as big as actual people. Uh, there will be racing around tight, confining city streets that actually don't let the cars race and haven't for about uh, 30 years. That's fine because hey, it's a good time to shit post with friends about race cars. Yay! It's the Monaco Grand Prix. Why can't it be as fun to drive in real life as it is to drive in video games? That's my question. <sighs> we will never know. Something to do with easy mode? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> was, was that like accidental shots fired from Zoe Hamilton in the corner there? <laughs> no, I, I just remembered when I, when I played the F1 games that I always had at the Monaco. I, I had it as best I could that the car wouldn't fall apart because generally I just sort of bumper car the entire way. Yeah, just just just, just yeah, turn damage off. On, yeah, if you yeah. drive on if you're driving on full simulation damage at Monaco, um, props to you. You're a you're a braver man than uh, most of us. You're probably Brendan Lee, the the reigning esports champion, because that's about the only guy that can pull this off at this point. <laughs> 
But so I want to point out a stat from the uh, Formula One uh, stats breakdown. Um, the winner has come for the top three 54 times in 64 F1 races in Monaco. And the last time a driver won from lower that and the only time since 1985 was Olivier Panis winning from 14th in 1996 in a race where only three cars finished. Yeah, uh, it, it pays to be on the front row. Safe run. to say qualifying is going to be important. Qualifying is going to be important, y'all. Yeah, definitely. Just a and, tad. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting sign when Mercedes on motorsport.com are sending quotes saying that they are bloody worried, but not about the team you're thinking. They are scared of Red Bull. Like, the like Mercedes are, are scared of the energy drink. Um, there's a lot of hype in, in, in the camp for Red Bull, by the looks of it. We know, we know what to do. If worst comes to worst, you just sort of accidentally lose control at the last turn and kind of park it. Well, it worked for Michael. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the odds now for this. Sebastian Vettel is favourite at seven to four. Like Lewis Hamilton's nine to four. Daniel Ricciardo nine to two. That's a lot lower than usual for Red Bull. They're normally around the eight to one range to win a race these days. And uh, yeah, so there's some money getting thrown here towards the Red Bull ways. I mean, King, are you seeing this? Like, are you uh, are you thinking Red Bull are gonna? Get involved. It's going to be Ferrari again with the short wheelbase. Like I, I think it's based off of Ferrari's. How do I say? Uh, for, Ferrari's past, you know, performance at Monaco and the fact that people mm. have this, you know, the the go-to thing about Red Bull is that they always have the best aero. And Monaco being Monaco, it's an aero track. It is an aero track. I mean, shout out to my man Cena who tweeted me about this as well because he reckoned. Like, it's going to be a lot like Sector 3 at Catalonia we had a, lot, a couple weeks ago. Um, like, Sector 3, which apparently he, said, he claims that, like, Sector 3 is basically Monaco at this point. And Red Bull was pretty much fastest through Sector 3 all weekend. Um, so, he's kind of extrapolated that out and he thinks that it could be a Ferrari-Red Bull dogfight for the victory. Um, I'll say this much, gambling fans out there, Kimi Raikkonen is 14-1. to 1. And he was Just saying. last year. Yeah, like I was like Raikkonen at fourteen to one is a gimme. I'm just throwing that out there. Now, but, do you um, have the sky bet of uh, of how much it would ha take for a, of the odds for a Kimi Raikkonen, Valtteri Bottas front row in either position, so you could have the Jimmy Buffett front row of fins to the left and fins to the right? <laughs> <laughs> There's an idea. <laughs> I wish that was my joke. I, I really uh, wish. It's only go on. Terrific. Give credit. Oh, it's fine. Um, hey, Ferrari have only won four times in the last 36 runnings of the Monaco Grand Prix, and Vettel's last oh, God. win was the first time they've won it since 2001. But hey, God, if, like... you're, if, you're, if you're looking to uh, hex Red Bull, uh, Mats Verstappen uh, only just recently was not trash at this race. Well, it helps. You know, you might be able to go a whole weekend without hitting something. <laughs> that, like, that, that would be a good start, like especially around here. You know, oh yes, and this is the debut of the Hypersoft tires, which Pirelli has already claimed will do the entire race distance. What the hell are you doing, Pirelli? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! Oh that <laughs> their chief said they will comfortably do the entire race distance. So what is the point? <laughs> I uh, listen. I, uh, I, I appreciate Mario Sola, Pirelli's head of car racing, very much. Um, um, he deserves a raise uh, for, just, for just completely um, 
sheer patience. He, he, he should be a bishop for his, his level of patience. <laughs> I love it. It's it's uh it's calculated uh it's calculated trolling at the highest level. I love it. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, the Hypersoft's making their debuts, and yeah, I've already said Hypersoft can go the whole race distance comfortably. So it, it kind of begs the question. Why did you make a big deal about bringing a seventh tire compound almost specifically for this race? But and it's then pink. I, got to, I, I said on Twitter, it's a marketing gimmick. They want to sell replica one by two tires that they give out for pole positions these days and creative looking keychains. Fuck this. Seriously. Like, when will Pirelli stop being so conservative and insisting on every race being a boring one stopper? Like, seriously. This is so crap. Oh, Charles God. Charles Leclerc is making his uh, home Grand Prix debut. He scored points in back-to-back uh, -back races. Do you think he has a chance to make it three in a row at his home race? Why not? He, 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 yeah, he, all eyes are on him for his home debut, and man, it is... If there's any Sky Sports specials about Charles Leclerc, they're not going to be happy specials. They're going to be tearjerkers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, Charles Leclerc, I'm two, entirely. two to one. Charles Leclerc in the points. Yeah, two to one. Charles Leclerc in the points. I'd probably say one to one. Charles Leclerc will have us all crying. Jeez. Um, especially if this becomes the uh, because Monaco these days either tends to be a a nothing procession for seventy eight laps where everybody just keeps it off the walls so very well, and I hate that. Or Monaco devolves into a shit show of attrition and like seven cars finish. And one of the front running teams fucks up their tire strategy so badly. Hi, Daniel Ricardo in 2016. How are you feeling? Oh, uh, well. <laughs> Don't anger the fangirls. Don't anger the fangirls, RJ. We can't have this. <laughs> oh, that's fine. You know, Romain Grosjean uh, is now nine races in a row dating back to last season without scoring a point. And now he's claiming he like he, he's not liked very much because he's French. Mm. To be fair, that's normally a reason that French people aren't liked. I thought with him struggling so much, he's reverted back to Swiss because the uh, because the Andy Murray syndrome is kicked back in. Oh yeah, he's he's, he's losing his Swiss again. You got it. <laughs> the struggling Swiss, Romain Grosjean. All I know, all I know is right now is Zoe is not doing our bit for like British French relations as as of, as of, as a moment in now. We're... The old alliance was alive. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of busted up alliances, uh, Dre, do you happen to know why relations between Austria and New Zealand are at an all-time uh, critical mass? You mean it's nothing to do with Eurovision? Uh, no, no. But oh. uh, but you know, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, dictatorships winning out in uh, in overpublicized uh, bullshit events, uh, Brendan Hartley might be driving his last race this weekend. That makes me sad. Yeah, like for what it's worth, I think the entire like the entire scope of this argument is is in my humble opinion and pardon my French complete horseshit. But yeah. um, yeah. like the thing I, with like any F one driver firing has to be a two way street. If Hartley has to go out, someone has to come in, and that's the problem with the story that you realistically can't find someone to replace Brendan Hartley. You know, you know who I'm blaming for this, King. I I I have. I have someone to blame for this incident. This is blatantly David Croft's fault. 
for mentioning Pascal Verlein's name during qualifying in Spain. He just dropped his name out of thin air. No sources, no, you know, nothing to validate what he said. He just dropped Pascal's name in there because, lol, basically. Um, even yeah. though Pascal going over there would make zero sense and Mercs are not going to drop him, especially given he's going back to DTM this year uh, as a former DTM champion himself. Like, back to he, DTM, he wants he's to... been here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he, he wants to win races. And DTM is probably going to give him more of an opportunity to do that. Than will Scuderia Toro Rosso. Here are some other names that have been thrown out well, in connection to this Toro Rosso seat. Uh, real quick, Felix Rosenquist has been thrown out there. Artem Markalov has shot down the rumors. Uh, Nire Fukuzumi, who is Red Bull's, um, who is Red Bull sponsored and Honda backed, seems to be an option. People have said Dan Tictum might get it in 2019. Yeah, there's I some think, there's some reaches there. Yeah, I yeah. I think. If you're going to make the Pascal Verline argument or you're going to make any other, you know, argument that, you know, Brendan Hartley's going to be replaced, it has to be at the end of the year. Because, yeah, Pascal, you know, he's doing well in DTM after the first two weekends. But again, Mercedes isn't going to be in DTM next year. Um, Dan Tictum doesn't have the super license points, but he might have them at the end of the year. So, again, it's all at the end of the year probably won't be after Monaco. Fukuzumi doesn't have the super license points, and judging from his start to the Formula 2 campaign, it's, uh, ooh, he's got to have some work. Poor kid. Um, and Felix Rosenquist slides just under. That would be a savvy hire, but of course it would never happen. Like, one, he's another Mercedes dude, and two, like, wouldn't that just be another sidestep, really, compared to what Brendan Hartley is, credentials-wise? That's that's what it feels like to me. To be fair, Bourdais. <laughs> this is true. Like, Bourdais, but, like, age. Like, that's the main thing, age. I just, I don't understand, like, I, I don't understand the decision of why Toro Rosso would want to fire Brendan Hartley so quickly. Yeah, the Barcelona crash was not great, but a lot of his misfortune has not <coughs> been his own fault. He hasn't been so terribly off the pace of Pierre Gasly that he's just become a laughingstock, and he's still a very well-credentialed driver who, again, has only had like eight races back in single-seaters since... Uh, about 2011 or 2012 you know what it is it's because Toro has just been so aggressive in the past when it comes to moving around talent that they think oh well Hartley's had a bad run of form so people are going to start rumbling it up again because Red Bull basically treat their drivers like half-priced shit sometimes and you know that's and in, a, in a media world where we all know that F1 paddocks pardon me and media in general like to reach in general um I, I think they're just going to put two and two together and get 22 on someone like Brendan Hartley, who, you know, is an easy target. Gasly, obviously, has been pretty good in the half season, you could say, he's had since you know, going back through last year. And Hartley's been a bit of a second fiddle. Not, again, not entirely Brendan's fault. A lot of that has been Toro Rosso's shit reliability. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Baku was a bit up and down. He had that, he nearly had a hellacious accident, but then he came back and scored a point in that weekend. Yeah, that was nice. Um, I, I don't think Harley's anywhere near as bad as what some people who are trying to get him out of that team 
are trying to suggest um, by any stretch. Yeah, go watch something that's not Formula One if you want to tell me that Brendan Hartley is trash. Brendan Hartley is fucking brilliant. He's an, he's an, he's an, he's an, it's, it's, it's classic F1 elitism arrogance where it's like, what have you done for me lately? You've not done anything in F1, therefore you can't be very good when you realize his credentials outside of F1 are spectacular. Um, and like, you'd think Hartley would be the sort of guy who you'd want to be in F1 to validate those previous series he's taken part in. And I know Henry's listening in right now just made the point, like, he'd love, I'd love to see him at Ganassi. I too would love to see him in yeah. IndyCar. I still would love to see him in yeah, IndyCar. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, if he gets dropped, as I mentioned on the last show, mm. if he gets dropped, he's immediately going to find a competitive ride somewhere else, be it at Chip mm. Ganassi, be it back in the WEC or IMSA. Yeah, he's a quality driver. Should, should we just prepare the petition, the no? Like, hang on, are we, we going to flip this round to, like, free Brendan Hartley? Is that it now? <laughs> no, it's, it's just, if it does happen and he's dropped, immediately we have a petition going up that says, Chip, hire him. You were going to hire him in the first place. Why did you let him go? You idiot. What's better than two winners on a team? That's right, three winners. Make it a double Kiwi and... Uh, whatever Ed Jones is. <laughs> he's British. He's, he's done well lately. <laughs> he counts. He's one of us. Um, give, give it a week. Um, <laughs> have to wait and see on that one. But yeah, no. I, I overall, I just, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see the argument to get rid of Hartley at all. And and like yeah. his Players Tribune series is also good enough to where you don't, you don't want to end that prematurely. Oh no, he's, no, no, he's no, excellent. He's he's a great guy and he's a great character. And you know, I, I love this little Days of Thunder reference he was talking about when he was driving through the cloud in Spain. If you haven't seen it on F 1s Instagram as well, check it out. Um, it's a quick, like it's it's a it's a great clip. I, I'm a big fan of Hartley and I hope he sticks around for a little bit longer. Um, switching over to IndyCar, going back across the pond for a minute. Um, IndyCar has announced more power. <laughs> more power yes we do have new engine regs in 2021 uh they're bumped up from 2.2 liter engines to 2.4 liter v6 engines that are going to have up to 900 horsepower with the application push to pass and anywhere from 50 to 100 horsepower uh more at each track on the calendar nice tasty mm, do do like more more grunts these cars are going to be so much fun to drive in 2021 i feel um and who knows maybe they might get that coveted third manufacturer by then well yeah Who's you know say? If, 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 I, I wonder i wonder has indycar made these regulations to try and make it easier to get a third manufacturer oh, uh, yes i would say yes and no like the pretty much the the car itself was getting outdated like they kind of it, it was time for the DW12 to be retired. Sure. It stuck around. It, it, it stuck around for a while. It, it was it was a loyal servant, but uh, I'm enjoying these 2017 cars, um, and seeing them with 900 horsepower makes me moist. Um, so I'm looking forward to more of that. Um, yeah, can't wait to see how that turns out. Looking forward to playing it on Forza Motorsport 10, most likely. <laughs> give, <laughs> give 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 it another three years or so. Um, more yeah. IndyCar stuff. Go on, King. Oh, oh, yeah. The, the Universal Aero Kit car will be available in Forza 7 over the summer. Nice. nice. So, you know, you can just take it to your to your tag events. The only true game mode. <laughs> the only true game mode. 
Nice. Like, I was looking forward to that. I might actually make me want to actually go back and actually play Forza 7 in its bloody loot boxes. Um, <laughs> more IndyCar stuff. And uh, Formula 2 standout. Santino Ferrucci is going to IndyCar with Dale Coyne for the duel in Detroit. Time to fear the Cobra. Santino is here. That's Santino's music, and he's coming to IndyCar. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, maybe we all know he's a development driver at Haas at the moment, and uh, yeah, a, a good chance for him to get some more experience. I, I, I think so. Uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how that turns out, eh? Woodbury, Connecticut native, um, has podiumed in GP3 um, so far through the 2018 Formula Two campaign. His best finishes sits in the Baku Sprint Race. He is 16th in the standings but has connections to Haas, and um, it should be interesting. It should definitely be an interesting task ahead of him for Santino to go from one claustrophobic street circuit to another on the other side of the Atlantic. Hey. Only this time with a, with a car that has way more power and less uh, aero grip. Indeed. Should be spicy. Should be spicy indeed. RJ, tell us a bit more about Super GT at Suzuka. Yes, because uh, I also dragged King along to watch this. Um, so Super GT had their 300k race at Suzuka, the Fan Festival at Suzuka. Um, Honda 1-2 finish at a Honda-owned track was was not much of a surprise. Uh, as the Autobacks Racing Team Aguri team, Takeyazawa and Tomoki Nojiri won from pole position uh, their first win of the season. Pole position, they they did a uh, they did a one forty four three for pole position. Did uh, Nojiri uh, in the second qualifying session? That lap would have put them four seconds away from the nineteen ninety two Peugeot nine hundred five Evo one, which was one of the last Group C cars and the only one with like the three point five liter V ten formula that were basically the fastest sports cars ever around the track. Yeah, the GT five hundreds are now half a second away from that. And as pointed out by Counselor Sam Collins on Nismo TV, um, that lap would have been good enough to qualify 10th for the 1988 Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka, which is pretty fast for a sports car that weighs <laughs> yeah. just over a ton. Yikes. God, that that was a good race. We had a, we had a constant tail-to-nose chase for the lead in GT500. We had a five-card fight for GT300 because... Everybody was trying different tire strategies. A lot of teams um, went and gambled on not changing tires on their pit stop. It was a 52-lap race around Suzuka, track which puts so much lateral load on the tires. Some of them were willing to roll the dice on uh, not changing tires, but in the end, four tires turned out to be the key for the Okayama Toyopet K-Tunes Racing Letsis of Morio Nita and Yuichi Nakayama. Nita, by the way, after losing the all-time GT300 wins record two weeks ago to his former co-driver Shinichi Takagi, Nita goes ahead and ties it right back up again. So now Nita and Takagi are tied at 19 wins apiece, going after three rounds of this championship. That is mightily impressive, and you consider how late they are in their careers, and they can still win races, dog. Like, definitely go out of your way at least to see, like, the GT300 battle for the lead when uh, Nobuteru Tadaguchi is holding up an entire train of cars <laughs> on worn tires for about a dozen or so laps uh, in his Mercedes. It's brilliant. <sighs> K2 
King, what did you think of that race? It was, man, that is, that race was kind of like the prime example of why, number one, I love multi-car racing. Number two, uh, why I love, you know, success balance in some way, shape, or form. Because we had a race, I would say, from halfway all the way, all the way to the finish. Damn. Oh, yes. And with uh, Naoki Yamamoto and Jensen Button finishing second, they now lead the GT500 Drivers' Championship by a single point going into the extended spring break, where Jensen Button will be racing at Le Mans, as will Kaz Nakajima, Kamui Kobayashi, and Sven Muller. Um, and then the series picks up on July the 1st at the Chang International Circuit in Buriram, Thailand. Ooh, good track. Yes, yes. And it's in July. That is interesting. It's in July in Thailand. <laughs> so it's going to be like a hundred... That's going to be a It's going to be it's gonna, like, 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 like if you dropped Zoe off in the middle of that circuit in July, she would melt as soon as she hits the tarmac. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's the best part. Uh, it's, it's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. It's going to be muggy, and it's going to be miserable. <laughs> Good grief. And this is why MotoGP is going there in October, kids. Um... Uh, there's a, there's a very very good reason for that. I hope you like 50 degree weather. Um, so so fun times all around the Super GT. Back with more of that, obviously in the off season between now and well July, I guess. Um, in the meantime, should we get into Formula E, fellas and ladies? Hooray! <laughs> well, like Formula E in Berlin for round nine of the championship, and we can confirm it definitely happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a thing. Um, we're going to kind of gloss over this one because there really wasn't an awful lot to talk about on this one. Yeah, um, Daniel Lap won from pole, yeah. had the fastest lap, mm-hmm. won the race. Um, pretty good hat trick for Daniel, um, who had his own section of plants, uh, <laughs> just cheering him on for the final grandstand. Can I just say, it's Audi, like, is, yeah, Audi is always just trying to get Roman Reigns some extra support where it, di- where it isn't validated. Obviously, it's like apps. They they bend the rules. They hire plants and they crack the fan boost ballots. I like how is <laughs> no no. Did you notice somebody didn't get a fan boost this week or last that race? Oh, the grassy didn't have a fan boost, but Daniel App did. <laughs> Daniel App, Buemi, and Felix. But Buemi's gotten it again, so I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Yes. Did 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 Renault pay for some more pots? <laughs> Felix Rosenquist did so much with that. Uh, he finished 11th place, um, which means he didn't score points. He has been slowly tumbling down. His only saving grace is that his Super GT team uh, didn't finish with the points as Azuka, so he is still mathematically eligible for that championship. Yay. Silver uh, linings. Yeah, I mean, again, he, like, he, he got a very he had a very aggressive start. He, went, he tried to go all the way around the outside, and he got it completely wrong, and was making up positions pretty much from the back all the way through the race, um, right up until the end, when there was a massive train. I think it was behind Nelson Piquet Jr. in the last, like, five seconds, where all hell just broke. And I'm sorry, it wasn't Nelson Piquet, sorry. It was uh, Pachito, um, Jose Maria Lopez, um, who was in the front of a queue. And uh, the queue took matters into its own hands in the later period of that race. Um, there was a big bump as well between PK and, and, and Lopez. Both went went way way wide. Lopez got spun out as well. It was it was a, it was a little bit of chaos towards the end of that race. But as mentioned at the front, 
Daniel Apt winning comfortably ahead of his teammate Lucas Degrassi. He tried to chase down Apt after a very good pit stop on his end um, compared to Apt who got held up because of Bwemi's car coming in. Um, but uh, apparently he had some sort of steering issue in the second car for Lucas and he basically said, you know what, sorry, I'm just going to take a comfortable second here, basically. But um, yeah, I mean... I don't know. Berlin normally produces better racing than this. Um, I'm surprised that you know it was a it was kind of a mediocre one this time round. Um, but we had a decent lead group. Oliver Turvey was in the mix as well. That was fun. Bremi wasn't quite as mediocre this time around. Like the uh, Renault was a bit better, especially in the first Man, half. Remember when Jerome D'Ambrosio was running up in the top five? That didn't last long. Um, man dropped like a stone in the second period of that race. Um, that wasn't pretty, to say, to, to say the least. And from the sounds of things, isn't going to be at Dragon for much longer either. Looks like he's, oh. it's like he's leaving. Um, our friend and yours, Hazel, said that was kind of anticipated, but it's, it's looking like Jerome's going to be leaving early, um, which is a shame because he's been one of the, you know, one of the staples of the series now, pretty much from the start. So that's a better bummer. Um, but yeah, like, it, it just kind of like his his day for Dragon kind of summed it up really. Um, just sunk like a stone. And like, he, at one point, he was he was running his highest third. He felt he finished in nineteenth. Kind of says it all, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, just unfortunate. Just unfortunate. I mean, I'll give you a quick run in order, real quick. Daniel Apt taking the win, as mentioned, it was a perfect weekend for Daniel Apt. Pole win and fastest lap, maximum points for Daniel Apt. I think that's the first time it's happened this this uh, this season actually. Apt completely dominant, wins it by six point seven seconds from Lucas Degrassi in the end. Jev in third, not quite replicating his recent run of searing form, but he still extends his lead at the top. I think he's now got a forty point lead, forty points over Sam Bird, and now basically just three races left. Um, one at Zurich, which I'll talk about, and of course the New York doubleheader. Yeah, uh, I. Interestingly enough, we have a four-way fight for third in the championship because with Rosenquist going ice cold and Apt winning that race, there's now just ten points separating third through sixth: Rosenquist, Apt, Bohemi, and Degrassi. Indeed, it's, it is getting interesting in the fight for the in fact the fight for the bronze medal. That's going to be fun. But, um, yeah, as mentioned, Vern is now 40 points clear of Sam Bird. Felix Rosenquist is on 86. Daniel Apt on 85, the man in form. Um, Sebastian Buemi in fifth with 82. And Lucas Degrassi on 76 on that one. So, as mentioned, three races to go. Um, Vern can clinch at Zurich uh, next weekend. Um, I, I, and RJ, you made this point on Twitter, and I do want to I do want to talk about this. Um, like... Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, oh. absolutely. So, uh, in 1955, after the Pereira-Levay disaster at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, Switzerland was one of those countries that banned motorsport, and they kept on banning it for so, so many years. Um, this race in Zurich will be the first sanctioned major league circuit race um, in the country of Switzerland in a long time. And Formula A is the only series that can race here because it's a provision where only electric cars can have these sort of races in the boundaries of Switzerland. So Formula E have a market that they have exclusive access to among all the major categories. This should feel like it's the Daytona 500 and the Indianapolis 500 and the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the Monaco Grand Prix and the Bathurst 1000 all rolled into the one for the ABB Formula E Championship. 
we're coming in this feeling like it's it's another yeah. race on the calendar. I mean, I mean, the state of the championship probably isn't helping here. Like, um, given given that Vern can clinch fairly easily with a decent result, but like, I, I think yeah. it's largely due down to the fact where they kind of pulled the trigger on all the promotional stuff a bit too early when they when a couple years back when they thought they were gonna have the deal done, mm. they did like a whole demo run with Simona. Had Simona yeah. over there, yeah, yeah, and Simona was still in the series, so they had like. A homegrown driver in the series, but yeah, it kind of fell apart. I mean, to, in fairness, they still do, and he's a former champion. That is true. They have Sebastian Fleming. <laughs> he, he, the problem is, is that he has he hasn't got the pull power he used to because Renault are clearly kind of just phoning it in and waiting for their time in Formula E to end before Nissan takes over. Two of them, if you include the fact that Eduardo Martara can be Swiss or Italian. Hmm. Does that also depend on whether he's winning or not? Um, <laughs> mostly. Uh, Shout-outs shout to, to the two races that Neil Yanni was with us. Hey. <laughs> also, as well, shout-out to our man. Or... Yeah, go on. Go, go on, Zach. Yanni or Laurel? <laughs> oh, my yes. God. <laughs> yeah, oh, Shout-out as well to our, to, to our friend and yours, Nico Rosberg, for making his return to racing. He drove the Gen 2 car around, which was nice. Um, so that was really cool. So nice to see Nico Rosberg back in the car. King shed manly tears of of, of happiness. Yeah, he's back. <laughs> Didn't he apparently get a bit lost? Uh... Yeah, because it was the first time he drove the car, period. So, like, some of the controls he didn't know. Like, he had to ask the engineer over the radio how, like, uh, which way moves the brake bias forward. You almost put it in the wall, apparently. Yeah, because the brake bias issue. Or it's like, is it clockwise or, or anti-clockwise to move the brake bias, brake bias forward? Oh, bless him. He's a bit rusty. I think we'll, I think we'll give him a pass for that one. Um, yeah, nice to see Nico Rosberg back. But uh, let's be real here. This weekend was overshadowed by one not-so-savory piece of news about where these Gen 5 or Gen 2 cars will be making their debut during Season 5. It's and not just any e -pre. It's the greatest e <laughs> Oh. Welcome to Saudi Arabia, everybody. Um, a 10 year contract Formula E dropping the announcement uh, and these are the words of Hazel Southwell which again if you um, if you check out Motorsport 101 .net, you can read Hazel's wonderful piece about Riyadh being the tipping point of Formula E's future Formula E dropped the announcement that we'll be heading for 10 years to Riyadh and Saudi Arabia to race a country women cannot currently drive it albeit the ban is lifted next month so that would be at the end of June 2018 and where Google will supply you with countless risks of human rights concerns especially concerning women, immigrant workers journalists and LGBTQA plus people which is the sort of thing it's difficult to vend or even understand given the kingdom's control of the oil industry. What does Formula E have to do there? Yeah, I, 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 I do not understand this at all. I just... Like, this goes against everything that Formula E represents. Um, Part of me is like, what did they actually represent, though? This is also becoming more and more apparent as seasons go by. Um, I'm not denying that either. But 
in terms of quote unquote being progressive, in terms of quote unquote being an electric series, and you know showing that you know the future of automotive, you know engineering is electric and whatnot, and yet you're going to the biggest oil tycoon country in the world, um, and of course let's even let's, let's not even get into its its abhorrent um, human rights record, um, to say the least. Um, you don't even have to be a political particularly minded thinker on this one you probably should be but still to say why the fuck are you going over here i mean even hazel mentions it in a piece talking about the fact that you know there's other places in the middle east you could potentially race you could race in doha and in in, in in qatar they, that was a that was a possibility beirut was a possibility i know they were interested as well in having a ra- in having a race i just i just scratch my head at this one on on every level i mean it's just like, where's the redeeming factor here besides, well, the obvious one, they're lining their goddamn pockets by taking all the Saudi Arabia money. Yeah, I was money. about to say, the redeeming factor is that um, Formula E can redeem a very large check for 10 years. Oh, and it guarantees that this race under contract will be the season opening round of every season thereafter. I hate this <sighs> with every bone in my being. I fucking detest this. <laughs> like, just... Like I want nothing to do with Saudi Arabia, and you know it's 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 awful. It's it's a it's a very bad look for the series, if you ask me. And I, I have to I have to again I completely applaud Hazel for having the balls to to take Alejandro Iga head on on this during the press conference they had about this on Thursday. I mean the the question she asked was, and I, I quote. Alejandro, Formula E has unquestionably positioned itself as a progressive series, has occasionally changed and um, and has occasion changed and for sure affected some parts of the automotive industry and changed the image of electric cars. We know that it can do good. As a woman who derives my entire full-time income from covering Formula E, I am a little bit dot 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 stressed by the fact that we are committed for 10 years to go to a country where it would be at best extremely difficult for me to work. Could you comment about that? Um, this was his response. Yes, yes, and absolutely I appreciate the question. I think the question to race in Riyadh is very important because we want to be part of the positive change that is happening in Saudi Arabia. Side note, they pretty much lifted that one straight out of the WWE. Of <laughs> their greatest Royal Rumble. <laughs> go, go on, King. Yeah. yeah they, Even though, like, in terms of, like, the greatest Royal Rumble, there were issues in regards to women being like women being represented there I'll, I'll get to that in just a second trust me you'll see why um like we see this as a game changer that formula e is going to participate in that change and with the leaders of a country there is no other way of changing the nation but i totally understand the question still today women cannot drive in saudi arabia but there is going to be a historic moment next month women will be able to for the first time ever to drive Whoop the fucking do. Um, we, I... we, we have, of course. Re- <laughs> yeah, go on, Zoe. Um, Saudi Arabia has recently arrested several female activists, including the lead on women getting the right to drive. Yeah, Wonderful. so it's like they want they. It's like they, they want to pat themselves on the back for letting women drive, and they want credit for that. But they're also going to arrest the people that pushed for it. 
Fantastic. Um, we've, of course, received complete assurances. Actually, it has been the request of the Saudi authorities that women participate driving the Formula E event. And if they are not in a racing team, we will organize some way for women to drive around the track, do a demonstration, which is really the intention of the New Year's of Saudi Arabia, to showcase that change. Do you remember women in will season be allowed- one in Formula E mm-hmm. where we had two women at the grid at the start of the season? Yeah. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, women will be allowed at the event spectators obviously women that come from abroad like yourself will be allowed to come work and report on the race well thank god we see that there's a great element of change in a country that didn't have all those right in the past we are happy to be part of that change and we see Formula E as a force for good and in this case it is a very specific place under very specific circumstances but we think Formula E can make a contribution also for good in that country by doing this but I totally understand the question. Now, end of quote. But as I now, the impression I get from that is that it's like they want, like Saudi Arabia want the pats on the back for making their country more progressive. Like, uh, and you know, I've always, I've often used the quote, like having a high jump contest and the bar is buried in the ground. Mm-hmm. It's like that's what it feels like to me. It's like, oh, women can drive. Fantastic. Well done, Saudi Arabia. You're almost like 50 years behind the rest of the world. Uh, like, like, oh, it's it, it it's it's cringy to me that it's like, like, like they're looking at women being able to drive like some sort of like prestigious honor as Formula E comes to town. It's just I I I, I cringe at this on on every level. And I mean, ugh. you just had to look at when the the race of champions went there. Hmm. And obviously, again, they were giving money and everything. And the stadium was pretty much empty. Yeah. They didn't give a shit. They just mm-hmm. didn't. Nobody came. Nobody nobody came around. And I mean, I know King mentioned the WWE for a second there as well. We got a comment on this piece when he put it up on our Facebook page. And it came from an old friend of ours. His name's Adam Johnson. You may have heard of him. Um, <laughs> he said, delighted to see Hazel on the site. Super combination. Um, thanks, Adam. Uh, we miss you. Um, the quote about we want to be part of the positive change that is happening in Saudi Arabia interested me. When WWE signed a similar 10-year deal with the South General Sports Authority, that was their defense too when asked why women weren't allowed to compete or even be involved with the first show there recently. They claim the rulers who brought them over were part of a progressive change for the country, and WWE would be a part of that. Then and the then, Saudi, yeah, yeah then, they, a, then the Saudis got mad at them for even having women's wrestlers promoted on their on their on their advertisements. I was just getting that out. So then the Saudi GSA made a statement apologizing for showing female wrestlers in an advert for an upcoming WWE show to the live audience, and stated they would ban women from ever being shown on television in this way ever again. So that positive change is going to take a while then. I hope FE and WWE aren't just going there for a cash grab. But when you see stories like this and know just how much money is changing hands, it's hard not to believe that money over everything is the prime reason this is happening. I really hope for yours and others' sake that this isn't the case. And I gag practices what he preaches in with regards to inspiring progressive attitudes in the country. Anybody buying that? I, I really think it's the situation of where it's kind of hoping that this modernization has come as 100% trust-based. The only thing is that when this much money is involved, your idea of a trustworthy person vastly changes. 
Right. Yeah, it's it's hard. It, it it's, it's hard to see when there's that much money in the pool. It yeah. absolutely feels like a cash grab, and you know, I yeah. mean, that's it, also it also feels just like you know it's a rich, uh, royal person's uh, vanity project to have all this sports and all this racing right here in front of my fingertips uh, because I can just pay out the nose for it. it. It feels a lot like Qatar getting the 2022 World Cup next in four years' time and they have no footballing presence in their country whatsoever, yet they're building 13 stadiums to house a football tournament where thousands will die trying to build these stadiums and the people that are building them are prisoners in their own country. It's the same deal here. It's just like, you're doing it because rich people want to pay for it, and they do it because they can and they want to, and it's a vanity project, and that's what it feels like to me. It feel, it just feels like the, it just feels like Saudi Arabia throwing money around because they can and people will take it. And, you and know, absolutely. I am a proponent yeah. of racing expanding its boundaries, which is why when people get all hizzy about the idea of motorsport in the Middle East because, oh, it's motorsport in the Middle East and it's so backwards and terrible. Like, I, I, I love the idea, but I also think ideas like this are the wrong way to go about it. You can't just throw a bunch of rich oil money at a race when you're already just, you know, crappy everywhere else. Say what you will about yeah. the United States being a fake democracy. At least women have driven there for several more decades than you can in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it's a start. You know, got to start somewhere, right? So, as mentioned, Saudi Arabia, Formula E, Season 5 opener, 10-year deal. It's kind of poopy. Go read Hazel's piece on it for more. It's well worth your time. And thanks, sir, for putting it up. Much appreciated, Hazel. And um, it's a brilliant piece, and I can't wait to see what else you've got for us. Um, I'm, I, it's going to be fantastic. Um, still can't quite believe we pulled that one off, quite frankly. Um, a lot more written content coming up over there in the next few weeks. Trust me. I'm just taking my word for it on that one. Okay. I think we can dodge this one no longer. It's uh, time to reopen this wound and talk about Monday. Okay, guys, we have to address this most important piece of news coming out of the Indy 500 this weekend. Simon, Simon Pagano, Pagano won. won the autograph contest. <laughs> <laughs> In spectacular I love the, fashion. I love, the, I love that me and RJ were thinking the exact same thing when we introduced this segment. That's that's genius. Like We are drift compatible now. Um, but uh, yeah, Simon Pagano wins the IndyCar autograph battle. Um, if you have not seen this, it's on IndyCar's YouTube channel. It's on their Twitter. I'm sure if you dig it up, you'll find it. But a brilliant orchestrated prank from weeks in advance um, of... Simon working with the Speedway Police Department, um, pulling over Joseph Newgarden and his girlfriend in the car, in, in, in his car for what was seemingly a quote-unquote illegal U-turn, um, and having an expired license plate on the car. They pull him over. Joseph's kind of bricking it. You can clearly see that he's very nervous about getting a ticket. Um, he's pulled over. They're thinking what's going on. He's writing up the ticket. 
Simon's following the, the police car behind. <laughs> now he gets out of the car <laughs> and he, he creeps up to the, to, his, to the passenger side window. And like as the officer hands Joseph the ticket, the ticket has got Pagano's autograph on it. And the look on, on Joseph's face <laughs> is legendary. <laughs> it's just a... It's, it, he looks at it and oh, and he just realises and it is... It is beautiful, and uh, yeah, that's the thing. Simon is uh, just riding passenger seat in the cop car, just reclined back and telling everybody, "Don't tell anybody, but I signed the uh, I signed the citation." <laughs> so when Joseph sees my signature, he's not going to know what to do. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is already at a point where we've had uh, drivers uh, getting onto harnesses and climbing several stories up to sign the big old banners that uh, are outside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the other person's signature. Yep, the giant banners we had. I think it was uh, Joseph signed Simon's new uh, street sign uh, at one point. We had, uh, like, I think Joseph's mother was signed by Simon Pagano. All the race suits is in there. The underbelly of, of, of Pagano's car, I think, was signed before the season had even started, which I thought was hilarious. Like, people that, like, like Joseph was saving that one for, like, three months down the road. Um, it has been the, one of the funniest social media campaigns I have ever seen in motorsport. And apparently, Joseph has thrown in the towel. Like, he's like, I, he says, I can't top this. <laughs> Go on, Zoe. Can I just say, this isn't the first time that the Indianapolis police have been involved in a prank played on a Penske driver. Oh. Go on. Yeah, a few years back, it was Helio got pulled over. And oh, yeah? And supposed speeding. And, like, the the guy's like, the Helio's trying to say, no, I'm. I'm a race car driver. This is who I am. There's a billboard of Helio's face behind the guy. And he's like, "Oh yeah, never heard of you." I don't know if I could find it now, but it was. I mean, this is from like 2008 or something. This rivals drivers of the corn as the best thing Joseph and Simon had done together on social media. It's been tremendous. It has been unbelievably good. It's a shame it's had to come to an end, but. What a way for that series to end. And um, also, like if you haven't seen the Pensy games the, and the guys playing heads up yet, I Fish highly lion. recommend you do. It's... <laughs> uh, them playing heads up and just like... Them trying to describe Simon Bagino the phrase big fish. And it's like... It swims in the sea. What is it? A fish. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's really big. It goes, put it together. Uh, lionfish. Fish lion. And it's like, oh my god. One like, day it's... they will do something in the Penske games that Simon is actually good at. It hasn't happened yet, has it? <laughs> no. He's alright at hula hooping, but that's about as far as it goes. Um... <laughs> hula hoops and weeks long, months long organized pranks. Yeah, clearly. Indeed. Also, shout out to Brad Keselowski for thinking that Bohemian Rhapsody was a song by Duran Duran. Oh uh, my god. That's right. Take a, That's it. Take away his 2012 Cup title. Oh, yeah, no, it's gonna go. By the way, also, Kevin Harvick won the All-Star race and they have restricted plates and it was Forest Entertainment and blah, 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 blah. Let's get back to the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, like, Kevin Harvick won a million dollars. Fuck that. Um, right, next. Um, oh god. 
<sighs> well, they said Bump Day was back, and they said Bump Day was going to bring all the drama and the entertainment back to the time trials in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, it did. It really did. Mm-hmm. Now we hate Bump Day. Apparently. I don't hate and Bump, Bump Day. Bump Day must be removed and... King is the devil. King is the devil. Um, <laughs> okay. So, like, so... How do we best talk about this? Well, let's say every, everybody's done their initial runs. And I'd say there was about an hour to go when we started going into who was going to run second and third times. We had a fast lane where people were getting their times removed to jump the queue. And there was lane one for guys trying to go out again. We had a couple of guys try to get back into the fast nine during that bump day last hour. I mean, Alex Rossi tried and failed. Scott Dixon, uh, pardon me, um, tried and failed um, on that one. Um, but obviously, this was mostly for the guys who were, you know, either Scott Dixon made it. Dixon made it. Yeah, sorry, my apologies. Um, yeah, thanks guys for the, for correcting me on that one. Um, there's a there was a lot going on here, um, but. Um, <laughs> say the least but um yeah we had a lot of the fringe guys take take second cracks at it um um graham rail had another go he got out to 30 if oriel servia had three goes at the three bites at the cherry but he finally got a run together that got him in um davison was on the fringe for a little while daily again had three goes at it daily pulling out i think it was a 225 run on his third and last attempt snuck his way in and uh knocked out his former landlord Putting James Hinchcliffe on the bubble. Um, Pippa Man was, I think, had four goes in it. Um, there was, I, I remember, there was about eight minutes to go. Rahul had his run. Like Alex Rossi had his run. He didn't get back into the top nine. Um, and if I remember correctly, like Hinchcliffe was going to go out there, but then he had a vibration on the tire. Yeah, um, with twenty yeah. minutes left to go, they rolled out the car. Um, and Hinchcliffe was taking his warm-up lap until he sensed a vibration on the car. And Hinchcliffe, just, uh, just again, rem- three years removed, remind you from his near-fatal crash in Indianapolis that is now a uh, standard part of ABC's stock roll footage for the Indianapolis 500, Yay. Um, did not want to risk it. Understandable. Um, see the context, like James's initial first run... He was the first guy to go back out after a rain delay, a long rain delay. A good, I think it was almost two hours. It was a rain delay for in the end. And yes, hmm. yeah, two hours, and then we had another one. So they lost two hours and forty-one minutes of a six-hour and fifty-minute qualifying session. So there were four hours to get in everybody's first run, and then if you were not comfortable with your position. You had uh, very little time to get back in. Indeed. So Hinch was kind of limited for runs. Um, he was kind of the unlucky one that had to go back out immediately after a rain delay. Probably a good reason why his time was so, so understandably a bit cautious, given no one knew what the state of the track was going to be. Um, Wickens had Wickens had this was yeah. the victim of one in the in the second minor rain delay, but he still came through. I think in in the mid twenties before eventually finding his spot later on on the next day. Um, Wickens made it safely through, but. Yeah, um, with about, I think it was about eight minutes to go, Daly had bumped Hinchcliffe. Um, way to treat your former landlord, Connor, um, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, as the, as we found out in the queue, Rossi had gone out as the third to last runner. And then they we clocked to the to the inside of the garage and they realised Pippa Man had gotten 
jumped Hinchcliffe in the queue, basically. Um, no, no, no. That's that's why Rossi was able to go out. Right. Because Pippa was first first in the first in basically the bump line. Uh-huh. But apparently she wasn't ready to go, so they let Rossi have a run because Hinch wasn't there in line to skip Pippa. Yeah, we'll get into the main reasons. It's a disaster that happened there, but uh, Pippa went. Pippa was the last was the last person to run. Her last run was not enough. She got bumped, and then the penny had sort of dropped amongst people on Twitter, me included, that Hinch did not have enough time to complete a run, and just like that, Pippa Man and James Hinchcliffe are bumped from the Indy 500 to complete shock. On social media, um, I've never seen like 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 Twitter was like the red wedding out of Game of Thrones after after that one. Like holy shit, um, nobody could believe it. Like it, I I I I can't remember the last time I've seen such visible shock on a motorsport timeline on Twitter. Like like it was like a great big bowl of has this really just happened? Like Hinch fails to qualify. Um, Jack Miller at Assen. Jack Miller at Assen, Rossi at Rossi at Indy that same year. Maybe so. Mm. Those are close, but yeah, um, that was unexpected. That was very unexpected. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the least expected things. Yeah. Um. So we're all recovering from shock. Like, like I, uh, ABC was showing Pippa basically crying on the front of her car. It was mm. not comfortable viewing, to say the least. It was awful. Hinch came out and immediately yeah. consoled his team. It was brutal. It, there was, it was emotional, it was brutal, and as Zoe will point out in a future piece, that's why we love it. And where do we like where do we assess this dumpster fire of a situation if you're Schmidt Peterson here? Because there was a, a, a lot of element of some shitty luck with SPM on, on bump day. I mean, again, as mentioned, Hinchcliffe was right. the first to go after a rain delay. Wickens had the same problem with the second rain delay that happened during the session. They were both the first to go back out. Um, so obviously not ideal conditions, to say at least. No one knows what track is going to be like. Um, you're kind of firing blind on that. That's why Hinch's first run was, I think, was 224.7. It was really slow. Um, but... That Q situation, I mean, the vibration on the tyre wasn't ideal, to say the least. And then getting Q jumped by Pippa. It, it, it was just... It, it, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. That's why they look it for SPM. It's like... The other thing was, it felt like... Like, you looked at, like, Wickens and, like, Jihara, and they obviously had a quick setup for all the cars. Mm. But... They were too slow to react, like getting the car out to try and improve its lap in the first place. Yeah, I do. I do not understand why they didn't have it in the pit lane with twenty-five minutes to go. Like, I like. Surely they had to have known that the, that this was going to be close. Like, I do not understand why they didn't get at least one extra run in, knowing that if 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 Daly and or Servia improved, Hinch would be in serious trouble. Mm. I do not understand the logic behind that. They left it way too late. I mean, okay, if they had if they had been in the queue and started thinking about multiple runs 15 minutes prior, they could have had a vibration on a run, and Man, it probably would have still gotten start, away with it. At the start of bump day, when we were all worried that Oriel Servia and Graham Rahal were not even going to mm-hmm. come close to getting in, 
Right, uh -huh. and Servia had three goes, and Servia eventually got in. Daily had three goes. Pippa Man had four goes in it. Like, so, there was time for people in the bump lane to get multiple runs in. So, I hold a lot of this on SPM for just sheer arrogance, I think, in just thinking that Hinch's run was going to be enough, when it clearly was never going to be. Like, at best, it was going to be tight. Like, I, I just don't understand that. Uh, the logic behind that baffles me. Um, eh, I, to say that, like, I mean, okay, I'm speaking from as Deputy Mayor of Hinchtown here to a degree, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's easy for me to be very salty about this. I'm not. Um, and I have to say, James has handled this like a consummate professional, and I applaud him for how he's handled this, because, boy, I wouldn't have handled it with... with with the sheer patience and and class that I think James Hinchcliffe has handled this with, I wouldn't have either. Uh, I, and I'll get no. to that in a bit. Um, uh, when James uh, when James uh, saw that people were going after Pippa for being, how could you have deprived James Hinchcliffe of his opportunity to get back in the race? Uh, James was like, "You don't know anything about anything if you're coming in with that kind of attitude." Mm -hmm. Indeed, he yeah. said. He said, "If anyone's blaming Pippa Man for this, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, everyone has I a mean, right to try to qualify for this thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the, those those two press conferences that they done, like half an hour or so after what had happened. I mean, got wrenching. Oh, I was in, oh, I was in tears at the end of Peppa's, and I mean, Peppa basically broke everything down. Like they they start they had a fine, perfect setup until Friday, and it wasn't getting any better, and they just couldn't catch up yeah and if anything they got worse like those runs were, mm -hmm. were falling away at the end as well they were only they were dropping into team 23 shocked that pippa was one of the cars that got bumped in Agreed. the of Dave, james davison who almost rid his rode his car off for the day before and had to wait until the final gun and qualifying just to know that he was going to be in the race at all and pippa's been and good at this event for the past number of years yeah just just didn't come together for her on the day yeah, it just, you just couldn't put a good run together, and she, I guess she had four cracks at it, and it just, if anything, they got worse as the day went on. It just, they were, they were trying, they're experimenting, and they just couldn't, they just couldn't find a setup that worked. And I said, Pippa has been a veteran of this event now for multiple years, and we love Pippa. She, she does so much for charity work. She's an incredible fundraiser, a fantastic ambassador for women in motorsport. She's fought the good fight for many years. We love her on this show. And I and I was I was devastated to see that she didn't make it. And like I said, seeing her break down into tears during the press conference and after the qualifying was an absolute gut wrencher. But I would also maintain, and this is coming from a guy who loves the two people that got bumped. This is why Bump Day is so great. This is why, like that. that oh, yeah. I, I've been watching motorsport for 19, 20 years. I have never been so emotionally invested in a qualifying session in anything I have ever seen. Um, and you know what it is, Dre? This is because this is the last big race where you have to make it on your merit with no exceptions, no provisions, nothing. Yeah. The 24 Hours of Ma is now invitation only from every top class. You no longer have to worry about pre-qualifying your way in. If you are invited to the 24 Hours Le Mans, unless something goes all right and you can't have the money in your hands uh, by the time you show, by the time it's about time to show up for the test, uh, you're going to run the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Sure. Unless you ride off the car in practice. 
at the Daytona 500, you used to have big teams that would miss the race every now and then. But now because of the race teams alliance and the charter system, every marquee team is guaranteed to make their way into the Daytona 500. Hell, even this year, every team that showed up qualified because you didn't have an oversubscribed field. Yep. Obviously, in Formula One, there are only 20 cars. The maximum we can have is 26. We haven't had a chance where anybody has been bumped from a Formula One field since 1994. Yeah. But at Indianapolis, at the Indy 500, if there were only there was only room for 33 cars. There have been debates where you could say, well, maybe they could put 34 and 35 in. But the last time that happened was in an era where... The last time we tried to lock the top 25 teams of what was then known as the Indy Racing League in, and it was very unpopular, to say the least, and they never did it again. The 25-8 rule, I'm hearing you're referring to here, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the 1997 uh, race had the had its provision where the fastest 33 cars did not make it in, so they had to actually add a 12th row hastily at the last minute. To get Lynn St. James and Al and Johnny Unser, the 32nd and 33rd fastest cars in the field in the race, because the cars that were ahead of him were locked in on IRL owner points. Sigh. And I go on this tangent to say this, that this is the last race where you can make it on merit without any exceptions. Indeed. And And this is also the last race where you could arguably just as long as you get a ride together, you can have a shot to race with the big guys. Mm-hmm. I That's mean, the of it. Go on, go on, Zoe. Yeah. I mean, if, like, there was a lot of people saying, no, the one, like, people who are part time or one shot shouldn't be allowed in. But 2011, Brian Herter Racing wasn't a full time team. Dan Weldon didn't have a full time ride. Brian said to Dan, Do you want to do Windy? They won it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we, we know what happened at Las Vegas. But if it hadn't happened, Dan was rejoining Andretti Autosport. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah, so, and, and we have other... Like, people say that... Like, people kind of group part-timers into different categories, kind of forgetting that Elio Castroneves this year is a one-off part-timer. And he's on, and he's deep on row two. Uh-huh. And he's desperate to win it because he wants back into IndyCar, and he feels the only way he can get back into IndyCar is if he wins this race. You can watch the 1987 Indianapolis 500, a race that was won by Allenser Sr., who only showed up because Penske's regular driver, Danny Angaius, got hurt in a practice crash. They had to pull a Penske show car out of a garage somewhere for Allenser Sr. to fit in, and he ended up winning the whole damn thing. This is the beauty of participation, and this oh. is coming from a guy that watched the, the, the watched the 2011 MotoGP season that had 17 full-time bikes in it. Um, I've seen what like the, I've seen like the the horror of bad representation and, and like bad participation levels. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 magic of the 500 is that you can get 35 people trying to get in. And if anything, this is I mean, this is what the first bump day since 2011. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, so, no. So, this is the bu- this no. is the first bump day since 2015, where it was 15. basically down to uh, Buddy Wazir and the late great Brian Clausen for the last spot in the grid. Before that, mm. you had Michelle Jourdain just missing the show. But this is the first time we've had a surprise on bump day since 2011. 
Zoe will know this firsthand because uh, that was the race where Andretti Autosport completely did not have their shit together. Mike Conway Uh and Ryan Hunter Ray missed the show. Marco Marco got in the last minute. Yeah, Marco (laughs) got in the last minute, almost missed it, and Danica Patrick was not exactly safe either. Simona Di Silvestro qualified ahead of her despite having second and third degree burns to her hands. Yeah, and it's like, it it kind of boils down to the... the simplest notion if you're not fast enough you're not going to be in the race indeed and it, it got colder as well i mean we saw the day later when we, the, the final grid was being set i mean again we saw the beauty of james actually coming down giving every driver before their run a thumbs up before they went out um and everybody was talking about just you know again look again, again him and pippa just how classy they were about not not making it in and how gracious they were of their time and presence but at the same time sbm was apparently shuffling down to dale coin asking um any chance we can buy your seat um because the thing in about in the thing about indy car racing it's not the driver that qualifies it's the car that qualifies so If you so, if, yeah go on Andre go on you take it yes yeah, so this is uh so this is the opportunity where I want to point out that in that 2011 race, um, DHL and Sundrop, uh, aka Dr Pepper Seven Up were Ryan Hunter race title sponsors and they were not keen to sit out the Indianapolis 500, so they went to Bruno Shankara who was bought out of his ride in 2009. They went to AJ Point Enterprise and said, hey um you mind if we put Ryan in Bruno's car and Bruno Shankara who had tried to be on the men from uh from career threatening back injuries in 2005 uh was trying to put his career back together in his mid to late 30s was bought out of an indianapolis 500 ride for the second time in three years there was also historic precedence in the fact that the closest finish in indianapolis 500 history in 1992 probably does not happen if mike groff keeps the seat that he qualified in and does not swap with scott goodyear which was pre-planned uh, that they would swap cars on the last day of qualifying only when Scott's car got bumped out. Scott Gargier does not have a, arguably does not have a career in top light racing like they had, if not for the fact that uh, Derek Walker Racing put him in the field the last minute instead of his teammate Mike Groff, who stepped down. So there is precedence to this. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and this is the reason that Mario Andretti was doing the, the runs at Indy back in 2003 because he was possibly going to be qualifying the car for Tony Canaan. Right. Um, yeah, and the less said about the days where we had to scramble to get a 33rd car in the grid for Indy, the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm. I had I had quite strong feelings about this because my initial reaction when I, when I woke up was like, they'll, they'll surely find... A, a ride for James Hinchcliffe for him, right? Ultimately, it never panned out. Connor Daly was not willing to sell the seat. Why should he? He worked too hard in the offseason just to try and get this one ride. Indeed. Zachary Clayman DeMero did, would not sell his seat. Why should he? He's been a lot better than people might have expected. Um, Jay Howard and uh, Jack Harvey, the other two SPM cars who are not full time, they would not sell their seat because their sponsorship deals are in place. Um, I, I understand. I also have strong feelings of like, James is also there is also a championship contender. He's Schmidt Peterson Motorsports' ace driver. 
and you're taking a maximum 100 points off of the table. This, this um, effectively ends his title campaign. This ends his campaign if he doesn't race the 500, in my opinion. Yeah, he would have to have a phenomenal year to catch up. It's I'll be dead. honest. By the point, yeah. By the point that, by the point of about uh, late Sunday, early morning, I was still in the impression of like, right, if they cannot or will not find a right for him, I wouldn't be, I would not be shocked, and I would entirely empathize if James just decided to walk out on the team. Really, that extreme? No, I mean, because the thing was in the press conference, James said, "I'm out." In that press conference, right at half an hour after bump day he said he was out he had no interest that is that is entirely understandable in that regard if, 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 if i know that it's and james has handled it well i agree it also comes down to the difference between how james is handling this and how either myself or any one of us would handle this like i don't handle failure very well in any sort of situation whether that's literally well, I, I baseball it. or or my job, or what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it, if it were me in that my situation, knowing that I wasn't even going to get a chance to participate, and my title hope was done, I would just be like, screw this, I'm going home, find me another team that actually wants me. <sighs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's I'll say, uh, you know what, I'll say this much, I don't think they would have, uh, I don't think they would have chased this down hard enough if it wasn't for the fact that Robert Wickens is doing so well. Yeah, the, the fact that Robert Wickens is doing well, their other, their other, their one-off car driven by Jay Howard actually made the field. He was the fastest in the team. Yeah, yeah Jay Howard genuinely was very good. Yeah, and after, and after like a whole year of people cracking on Jay Howard for causing the dits and crash, now all of a sudden Guilty. we kind of realize that, hey, Jay Howard's actually kind of quick. Yeah, I mean, like, I still and, I still have conflicted feelings about whether or not he should probably be in the race over James Sitchell if I had the choice of the two, but, you know, he earned his place in the grid in merit. Yeah, he earned it on merit. His contract is ironclad, so he can't be bought out, so... Yeah, I mean, we, we're just going to have to get over this one here, folks. Um, and I, I made it quite clear on Twitter after the event, I did not want somebody else to lose their seat. Bruno Jankara yeah, made it. Bruno Jankara voiced the same opinion as well. I mean, it sucks. Like, we all, we are all a, uh, we're all a collective salt mine about this. Yeah, because like, it's it's James Hinchcliffe. It's like, it's like saying that Mike Trout uh, can't play in the Major League Baseball game, not because uh, not because he's injured or not because he because he's not physically able to, but because someone messed up the paperwork and he's not eligible. It sucks, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not denying that it doesn't suck. I mean, I'm, but like I said, one, that's the emotional beauty of Bump Day, and two, like everybody else was in the same boat yeah. at the end of the day, and that's just that's that's racing for you. Sometimes, sometimes it just isn't your day, and we we can all speak on behalf of a favorite whose wasn't it wasn't their day. Shit. I'm talking to a guy right now on this podcast that was a Nico Rosberg fan for many, many years. <laughs> You're talking saw... to another guy who had to watch Luca Badwer get humiliated in his two races in Ferrari in, night in 2009. Yeah, like, we've all been on the other side of this shit stick. And 
as as and, and I I was salty about this until I saw James in the press conference and until he was even cracking jokes to the press saying, you know what, I've had worse days in Indy. Um, and- <laughs> He's right. And I will say this, um, ABC, IndyCar Radio, please put him in the booth. He's got color commentator experience. In the case of ABC, you could probably stand to have at least one live body to compliment Alan Bestwick. Mm-hmm. That would be a. I mean, Graham Rahal made the idea on Twitter. And I think that's a tremendous idea. Get him in the booth. He'd be a fantastic addition to have. Um, like we know. I mean, I know. Again, I think a massive part of the reason why there's been so much backlash due to Bump Day is because it's James Hinchcliffe who's missed the cut, who is probably top five in the in the series for popularity. Um, he's he's at, at worst liked by pretty much everybody. He's never put a foot out of place, really. Unless you're James Davison, apparently. Um, <laughs> he's he's runner-up and Dancing with the Stars just a couple of years ago. Only lost out to an Olympic gold medal gymnast. I still think that's unfair. Um, but um, no, but it also is like he, he was, like, again, that only enhanced his popularity further. He is generally speaking, I think it's fair to say, liked by pretty much everybody and loved by a, a lot of people. Um, he's a, you know, he's a formula most popular driver and IndyCar award winner. Like, this guy is gold. He is like he is the perfect ambassador for your series, and of course, it's gonna. The fact he's missed out is gonna be a bummer, and I think that's part of the reason why we've had so many columns from people like Jenna Fryer and Robin Miller, who's come out and said, you know, maybe we should scrap Bump Day. And I'm like, I somehow suspect that that if it was James Davison, another guy we didn't really care about as much on emotion on an emotional level that didn't make the cut we wouldn't be making such a stink about this i think it's yeah. a stink because it's james and it's the uh, first time we've had a real shock at bump days since penske missed the show in 1995 which i should also point out penske had eight days of practice james had four uh penske had four days of time trials james hinchcliffe had four hours Al Lenzer Jr. tried to get in the field with three different chassis supplied by three different teams and couldn't get any of them in the field. Yeah, I'd probably say that's the largest, uh, my biggest pet peeve about this whole situation, and more of that pretty much everyone had what at most, like Hinchcliffe pretty much only had two attempts. Like, there was not enough time. Mm. Yeah, there was mm-hmm. not enough time. The other thing was, James seemed to be under impression that the clock ran until 6 o'clock. Yeah, apparently SPM made the fatal mistake, because traditionally at at Indianapolis, it's the 6 o'clock gun at the end of the day to end time trials. But now it's the 5.50 gun, because uh, 6 o'clock is just when ABC's broadcast window ran out. I would not have minded it if they... I would not mind if the future, say, in case of inclement matter, have a bit of stoppage time. Extended 30 minutes to give some people out. But don't scrap bump day and don't give provisionals out to full-time teams. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Entirely. 110%. Mm-hmm. Although I, I do completely agree that ABC taking 10 minutes off the end was shitty. Um, like, their co- but it never happened under NBC. <laughs> like, their coverage was god awful during during bump day the amount of commercials they had during the runs especially in, in clutch time towards the end um was woeful at best and again them taking 10 minutes off for interviews so it's a 550 guy instead of a six o'clock one okay i find that to be a bit stupid but i find it even dumber that spm didn't know that um again i hold spm 
highly responsible for this dramatic fuck up, to say the least. That mm-hmm. again, they didn't even have any sort of fear that that you know Hinch could have been on the bubble when a mm-hmm. when I was screaming on Twitter, forty five minutes out from the end, get James back out there. This is far too mm-hmm. risky. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, and I mean, if we had those ten minutes. We could have very well had James do the repeat of what Marco done, where as the six o'clock gun went off, he got onto the track. Yeah, well, that's that's but, that's enough time to do it. Mm-hmm. He was about. He was about three minutes. Yeah. For, he was about three minutes. Did give enough? Pip, uh-huh. Did it give Pippa enough time to have tried? She might have made it. She might have not. And they would have had James, and it would have been like it would probably be. Like even if it ended up, he still didn't make it. Yeah. We'd have still be talking about like. I think we'd have been talking about it a bit more, if it was on till six o'clock, if it was. The original. The, yeah, time. I think mm-hmm. I think if, I, like honestly, if say Hinch had one more run and he didn't make it, we'd probably still be having the same conversation. Yeah, because it's Hinch. We'd be having the same conversation. Uh-huh. We'd be having the same conversation, but at the same time, we'd be sitting there going, "He, he just wasn't fast enough." How did SPM could... not set up the car right? Instead of how did SPM manage the clock so badly? I mean, mm-hmm. this is Les Miles spiking the ball with a second to go to get the <laughs> field goal unit out in a game against Old Miss kind of bad clock management. I'll have to show Dre that clip. But um, <laughs> I think. Uh, there you go. I, I, I just I had a lot of feelings about this. Me too. I think yeah. we all did. Yeah. Like generally, I'm just firmly in the camp. Bump day should stay. They just they just need to allow more time because like in the old days, bump day was the last day of time trials, not pull day. Indeed, and like the fact we lost the best part of three hours to the rain, and there was clearly still enough daylight to run more cars after six p.m. Um, that made it tight for everybody, and I think that's kind of a shame as well. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is um and you know it's i'm devastated for hinge i'm devastated for pippa um like someone's got to not make it it doesn't make it any less brutal that they don't and to close off this part of the segment i'm going to borrow a quote from henry in the chat where he goes if you weren't on the edge of your seat and emotionally beaten up i don't think you're a motorsport fan and i think that sums it up better than i ever could should we get into the full grid itself um yeah Sadly, I'm I'm not that funny, so I've not got a creative set of lines for every driver in the field like we had on the IndyCar YouTube channel last year. But we now have our full set of 33 drivers, and I think we'll go from bottom to top, just like they did last year. So, and I'm sure you guys can interject at any point to to get any extra notes in. So uh, help me out here, folks, when you get a chance. So from the back, uh, row 11. Uh, I believe you're going from left to right to bottom to top on this one, RJ, how you wrote it out, yeah? Um, it's basically um, back row to front row, the inside is left and the outside is so, left. So, yeah, at, at the back, uh, 33, just making it in, Connor Daly um, in the 17 uh, Air Force car. Um, but hey, he's there, and bless him, I, like apparently he, he was 
proper devastated, like happy tears that he actually made it in. Bless him. Um, great to see Conor Daly back. Hopefully he gets a clean run at the whole race this time around. He's had, he's had some wretched luck um, at, at Indianapolis in, in, in the years he's attempted to, to try and get a decent run in his home race. So good for him. Alex Rossi. Um, yes, I know you're surprised. Alex Rossi down in 32nd, but... Uh, uh, what happened, RJ? I think it, I think prepare to shit yourself, people, when you hear what happened. <laughs> yeah, Alexander Rossi was tenth fastest on the first day of qualifying, which would have put him just under the cut line to make him the fast nine. When he did his second day qualifying, the thing that actually sets his grip position, Rossi had the car so out of balance that he was lifting all the time, and he sunk to thirty second on the grid just to the outside of Jack Harvey, who starts exactly where he was classified in his first Indy 500 one year ago. And here's a, and here is a historical note for, uh, for everybody that is uh, Alexander Rossi fans, Connor Daly fans, and Jack Harvey fans probably do not want to hear nobody in 101 previous Indianapolis 500s has ever won this race from the 11th row of the grid. Good luck, fellas. Um, bad luck, Connors. Maybe next year. Um, oh. <laughs> row 10. Oh, I know, uh, but we have to admit, this is the most Motorsport 101 last row party you could ever have. Oh, my God. You're right. It is. Oh, yeah. It really is. And you have uh, Team IndyCar. The amazing, amazing race. race. <laughs> Team IndyCar is 32nd and 33rd. Still together, friends forever. <laughs> Just like row 11, just like my opinions on The Amazing Race as a TV show. Right, row 10. <laughs> and in 30th place, yep, Graham Rahal. Um, just has struggled pretty much all week long. And, uh, like, I'm shocked here that, you know, Graham is like, Graham, again, we were almost dead certain during Pump Day that Graham might not make it in. And he, he was able to creep in, but uh, he'll be disgusted with starting on row 10. I mean, that's... Uh, right. That's not pretty at the all. The last time he finished, the la though the last time he started this low in the grid in 2011, he did go on to record his best finish yet at this event, a third place, driving for Chip Ganassi. Uh, Graham, of course, saw his father. Uh, no, he did not see his father because he wasn't born yet. But Bobby Ray Hall's father <laughs> did win the race in 1986. Um, Ed Jones in the middle last year's should have been Rookie of the Year. Driving for Chip Ganassi now. Some um, Spanish guy ruined long, it. <sighs> yeah. Long way to go back, but he did finish third last year. And Jay Howard, as we mentioned, yeah, of course, Indy, going back in IndyCar is as easy as riding a bike, at least we hope. But he was quick in the first day of qualifying. Actually, the quickest of all the SPM cars on the first day. Didn't get it together for row 10, but as long as he, uh, as long as he keeps his head on his shoulders and keeps out of... Uh, dicey uh, situations, especially if it falls off the lead lap, um, he'll be in much better shape than he was this time last year. Indeed. Moving on to row nine, and the man with the mullet is back. Sadly, not as high up as he was last year when he was on row two, but uh, JR uh, Hildebrand is back in the 66 for Dreyer and Rainbow Racing. Um, great to see the uh, the lecturer back on, on the grid. Ahead of Oriel Serbia in the middle um, in the 64. Um, great to see him back as well. Again, took three goes to get through bump day. Well, he was in a real dogfight there towards the end. Had two runs waved off. Eventually got in. And sadly, a bit, I'm, a, I'm a bit bummed because I think he was a bit faster than this on paper. Zach Veach um, on, on the inside of row number nine there. Um, s s small, uh, small American child there. Didn't do quite as good as we were hoping for there. Uh, right. It wasn't Peachy. It wasn't, no. 
No, it wasn't. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it was not. No, it wasn't. Um, gosh. Um, where do you start with this row? Serbia's been quick. He was quick in last year's Absolutely. race until he got taken out in a late wreck. Uh, J.R. Hildebrand, we know he almost did the impossible on his very first attempt. Came just one corner, a concrete wall, and a few hundred feet short. Um, but since then, he does have uh, two, three other top ten finishes at this event. And Zach Veach, of course, is looking much better around this time around than he, than he did last year, where he was qualifying. He qualified basically on the back row and was a non-factor all day. Indeed. Uh, moving on to row number eight, Sage Karam, wrestling your way into your hearts and trash bag opinions. Um, he's there on the outside. <laughs> in the middle, the great Stefan Wilson there taking his late brother's 25. Always a nice touch. And on the inside, Gabby Chavez for Harding Racing uh, makes up row eight. RJ, tell us more. Yes. Um, Gabby Chavez, of course, um, pulled off a stunner of a result in uh, when he made Harding Racing's debut in this event uh, just last year. They were not expected to do much. Gabby Chavez got that card in ninth, his best ever finish at this mm -hmm. event. Uh, this, I believe, is Stefan Wilson's. This is his second Indy 500, just his third Indy car start in total. This is his best ever start. And, of course, you'll know that he willingly gave up his place in last year's race to let Fernando Alonso race. Um, he was looking to have the favor repaid to him, and I think it might happen. And, of course, Sage Karam, one of the most um, one of the most mercurial talents that we've seen in a long time, who's always had the talent, always had the flash, and had the charisma and the bravado to be a success for he, that just has not worked out on a full-time basis for him. I know he's also struggled with, you know, coping with being involved in the incident that took Justin Wilson's life. Um, he's not involved in full-time racing this year like he was the past season, but he did um, set the fastest time in the first race simulation practice in the second week of practice. Um, that combination of Karam and Dryer Rival racing, if they get to the end of the race, they're more than likely going to be a factor at the end. Definitely one to keep an eye on. Moving forward to row seven, we have former runner-up Carlos Munoz making his return for Andretti. Our minion beloved favorite. In 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 the middle, last year's fourth place finisher and the man who led the most laps during last year's race, Max Chilton, who led literally a quarter of the race last year. So hopefully Chilton will be there making his again, making his return to this time for Carlin, who's made their first 500 with both their cars, him and Charlie Kimball, who we'll get to in a bit. And on the inside, James Davison, who doesn't like James Hinchcliffe very much, apparently. Munio. <laughs> James Davison uh, was the last-minute substitute for Sebastian Board last year. Um, was very quick, uh, very aggressive, almost dangerously aggressive mm. uh, at, at some points in the race. Got taken out in a late wreck. Um, wrecked on Frass Friday before practice was almost certainly not going to make the race until he did. Of course. Um, James Davison is a firebrand, um, but... On occasion, he can back that pace up, whether that's in sports cars or in single-seaters. He did reasonably less well last year. He just has to keep it out of the fence. Matt Shilton, what is there to say that wasn't already said about his performance last year? Leading 50 laps, 47 of the last 72. He genuinely could have won that race last year. Now he's with a new team, and expectations are lower, but I think Matt Shilton is not done with his indie heroics just yet. And Carlos Munoz... 
Uh, when it comes to Indy, and now that he's back in Andretti Autosports equipment, oh, buddy. Carlos Munoz almost wanted as a 20-year-old rookie in 2013. Uh, he nearly won it in 2016, in the year that Alexander Rossi went on to win it. Uh, his career track record, second, fourth, 20th, second, 10th in an AJ Ford Enterprises car that was dog terrible. Indeed. Carlos definitely one to look out for for me as a dark horse shout. You know, it's a, he's a little bit further back, but for some reason, he always finds a way to feature. Into row six, and on the outside... Our friend and yours, the great Bobby Wickens. Um, um, in the middle, Carl Kaiser, another rookie um, in the middle for Junkos Racing. And on the on the inside, we have last year's winner and reigning champion, Takuma Sato. Yes, so this is Robert Wickens um, continuing his impressive rookie form. He did have a crash um, Big one. On, the, on Monday practice. Yeah, and it's a good thing he did get out of that one, but he has been the sensation of the IndyCar series so far. There have been a handful of races that he's nearly won, and again, this is first time driving single-seaters in anger in a number of years, and he's been brilliant. Three top-five finishes in his first five races. Some of them could have been wins, including the time that he nearly won St. Petersburg from the pole in his IndyCar debut. Kyle Kaiser is an underrated story, the 22-year-old rookie and Indy Lights graduate. Yokos Racing, many people didn't think were even going to make the race this year. Kyle Kaiser got them solidly in the midfield, which just backs up the point that Kyle Kaiser is a very good driver, as his CV and Indy Lights proves. And, of course, Takuma Sato. I, I could have said that Takuma Sato could have walked away from racing altogether after he won the Indianapolis 500 because he pretty much done yeah. the deal. He could retire with his head up high. Um, not so much a good effort last year, but he has been the class of the Le Ray Hall Letterman landing of racing field, who the other two cars, well documented, they've struggled. Indeed, and God, like, again, I wouldn't have blamed him if he retired after that one because he was treated like a god back home in Japan after winning that one. And more power to him. I like Takuma Sato, and I like when good things happen to him. Into row five, and on the outside, we have Charlie Kimball for Carlin Racing. In the middle, we have Ryan Hunter, Unlucky Ray, who I think clearly crashed a truck full of mirrors as a child to only be this high up um and in on, on the inside we have zachary clackery the mackery on the inside of row five there um pretty one of the biggest surprises of the field there to get up there as high as 13th place oh yes yeah. so starting on the outside charlie kimball um he's never been uh he's got four top five finishes his best finishes third in 2015 so he's always been serviceable, but this is the first time he's had to do it without the backing of Chip Ganassi with a brand new team that many people worried about. But props to him. He did show incredible, so very good speed for what they were expected to do. Ryan Hunter Ray, of course, won in 2014, but has had awful luck in the years since. Of course, last year he had that engine failure that took him out of contention in 2017 and 2016. He got tangled up with one Townsend Bell. God damn um, the flat cap! <sighs> Which brings us to Zaman Clayman Damon. Um, 13 is a luck as a special number for him and his family. His grandmother got freed from the Holocaust on Friday the 13th, and the concentration camp tattoo numbers on her arm all added up to 13. So it's always been a lucky number for me my whole life, Zachary Clayman said uh, just before making his IndyCar debut at Sonoma last year. It's pretty significant, and he's been a terrific surprise, considering he was not even supposed to be in this race. 
This was supposed to be Pietro Fittipaldi's car until he got hurt at Spa-Francorchamps, and he was almost bought out of his ride for James Hinchliffe, as we already talked about. Also, he's been really, really brazen in the last two races at Barber and at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Yeah, this this kid's a bit better than I think we anticipated going in, and that's um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he holds up on that one. Um, moving on to row four, Zoe, it's your man's, it's Marco. Yay. Yay, Marco on the outside in 12th place. In the middle, the very impressive Matthias Leist um, there in the middle, um, complete with crazy hair. And the guy that stole his hair is on the inside, his teammate, Tony Kanan, the 2013 Indy 500 winner. Is this Marco's year? That remains to be seen. He has eight top five finishes. <laughs> they never mentioned this. previous Indianapolis jobs. He's always been very good and always factored in for the win at Indy. But, until, but apart from the time he came so close on his debut as a teenager in 2006, Marco Andretti has only served to hold up the, Indianap- uh, the Andretti curse at Indianapolis at times. Sometimes it happens. Maybe this is his year. Maybe with him having Brian Hurd as his strategist, this is the year that Marco snaps the Andretti curve. Save fuel. <laughs> Save fuel indeed. I want to talk about Mateus Lace because last year he was in Indy Lights and just making his oval debut. Uh, then Mateus Lace won it. Won it convincingly. And now he's the fastest rookie on the grid. His form has been very up and down this year. He was quick at St. Petersburg, but wrecked out. And then he was anonymous for the next four races. And now all of a sudden, he could be a threat in terms of his speed. He's just got to keep it out of the wall. And of course, Tony Kanaan, fastest of the non-fast nine drivers, popular winner in 2013, always going to be entertaining and he's still hungry for that victory and now he's going to drive for aj flint enterprises and what you never know with him turning 44 later this year this may be his last chance at a competitive drive that can win him an indy 500 who is to say and he's can i just add in regards to foyt cars like I think there is a chance that either of them could actually pull it off. I mean, all the Chevy cars have been strong. Like, I was half expecting at least Tony Kanan to possibly sneak in to the top Mm -hmm. nine. That's the thing we haven't talked about. Like, Chevy have been very good compared to where in recent years at this event. Indeed. Definitely one to keep an eye on. And um, if he does win it, he can get his name back on the trophy. Because as we, as we mentioned last year, he's a lot prettier than Vin Diesel. Um, <laughs> into the Fast 9. And creeping in um, on that bump day final run. On the outside, number 9 for number 9. Scott Dixon, the 2008 winner. And next to him, some guy in the middle. I think they called him Spider-Man. I think he's won it three times. Um, Helio Castroneves in the middle. Who has RJ? Magnificent hair. He really does. And on the inside, some woman called Danica. I heard she's quite popular around these parts. Danica Patrick um, in seventh place, um, representing Ed Carpenter Racing. More on that later. But um, yeah, it is a star-studded row three here, folks. Oh my goodness. When you have four Indy 500 wins, two former winners, and one trailblazer in her final race as a professional, um, this is a good row three. Where do you start with Scott Ditson? He won it in 2008, um, but he has 
been a little bit unlucky at this event in recent years, including, you know, last year. It kind of went airborne for a little good while. So maybe starting from ninth will not be so bad for Scott Ditson. Um, apart from his victory, he does have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 top 5 finishes. Top 10 finishes, I should say, at the Indianapolis 500. Elio Castroneves will be one of the big stories. He is 43 years old. He is scaled back to part-time running. He is still reasonably quick, and he desperately wants to get back in IndyCar full-time. Um, but there is also the fact that he has done this a long time. He is now the most experienced competitor in this field with Buddy Wazir not getting a ride together. This will be his 18th start at the Indianapolis 500, the most of any driver. He won in 2001. He won it in 2002. He won it in 2009. And he came close to winning it in 2014 and 2017. By all counts, maybe if one break had gotten better, he, we'd probably be talking about Elio Castroneves as, as the most successful Indy 500 driver of all time. Mm -hmm. Is this his last shot to win the race? Probably not. I, I don't think so. I don't want to think so. Like, based on this year, why would it be his last shot? You know, like, he's clearly... Like, he was one of the fastest dudes in all of practice pretty much across the week um, and, until qualifying came around where he just didn't quite get a last good run together. But he's been in the top three or four pretty much all week long. Um, and, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, uh, it might be time for Spider-Man to climb one more time for Helio, and I would love to see that happen. Oh, yes. Um, and Danica Sue. Danica Sue Patrick. Newly newly minted Packers fan. Ugh. Danica Cancelled. Danica is cancelled. You do not go from the Bears to the Packers. That is like... That's satanic right there. You do not do that. Sorry. Sorry. Carry on. Carry on. Don't mind me. Oh, no. It's okay. <laughs> you know, she's driven this event seven times before. Six of the times she's finished in the top ten. Her best result was 2009. When did she finish third? She's done a lot of firsts for women in motorsport, particularly in major uh, American motorsport. Almost winning in 2005, Rookie of the Year, winning an IndyCar race, winning pole position for the Daytona 500. Um, there will always be that feeling, but what if Danica had stayed? And that feeling kind of came back when you realized that Danica Patrick was fast enough to make the Fast 9, provisionally held pole position, comfortably as well. You just have to wonder what could have been, and now this is probably going to be your last I, chance. And I think, I think boldly, um, she could probably win this thing. I would not be surprised. I, She's I, she, yeah, go on, Zoe. Yeah. I don't know why we're shocked that she made it into the fast nine. She was good at this track. She's with a competitive team. I mean, you Disney look where the, the team owner is. Oh yes. It's like, it would have been shocking if she was starting sort of 15th and below. As long as she was sort of in that top half the field, it was expected. Well, it still was her first time in an Indy car in over six years. Yeah, and the fact like, much I, I, different I, I, Indy cars. And also the I, fact that, you know, haha, it's Danica Patrick always finishing mm -hmm. somewhere around the mid-20s in NASCAR. She's not very good when you consider yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think the questions regarding Danica's form are unfair, but it's it is like I must admit it is a nice reminder of her quality that hey, 
she was a really good IndyCar driver and she was consistently in the top five of the championship when she was in IndyCar and never was outside of the top 10 overall. Like, she was an excellent IndyCar driver who took the bigger paychecks of NASCAR and that's why RJ's had the thought of, what if she stayed? Her bank manager disagrees on the other hand. Anyway, row two. <laughs> Go on, Zoe, you have one point to make? Um, well, I should stay... The, she, the year she left for NASCAR was the year Ryan Hunter Ray won the the IndyCar Championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of says it all, really. Row two, and on the outside, Spigot, Manchester United future right back Spencer Piggott, um, in sixth place. A fantastic result from the guy that's barely run oval since he got to IndyCar. Thanks, Ed. Um, in the middle, um, Ryan King's favourite, King Sebastian Bourdais in the middle, um, who, again, who's been pretty much fast all week long, and Bourdais will basically drag that car into contention through sheer power, will, and quality. Why? Because Seb Bourdais. That's why. Um, and on the front of row two... The handsome one himself and loser of the autograph battle, Joseph Newgarden, in fourth. Again, another guy that's been pretty much been in the mix all all week long. Um, almost had a massive accident um, the day before bump day. He lost the front of the of the car at, in the apex of turn two and very nearly catapulted into the fence. But um, he, he saved it. Um, code brown, I think, is the phrase we're looking for here. Oh, yes. But... Um, uh, a lot of upside in row two here, RJ. Oh, yes. So, Spencer Piggott, when I covered him in Indy Lights for what is now Formula Scout in 2015, I believe it was my editor at the time, Peter Allen, who said that Spencer Piggott, um, not Joseph Newgarden, will be the future of American open wheel racing. Um, he's had a couple of years to kind of slowly develop since then. And in his two Indianapolis 500 starts, he's run fairly anonymously, not qualified well, Finishing, not really in contention for victory. But this year, all of a sudden, the switch has been flipped. He's qualified sixth, and uh, he's in equipment that could easily win this race. And, of course, Sebastian Bourdais, who is one of the two drivers starting in the top five positions, who has done everything there is to do in this sport. Four consecutive Champ Car World Series titles. Countless victories. He's been a class winner at Le Mans. He's one of the all-time greats but his best finish of the event still stands as a 7th place in 2014 in six previous starts and a attempt that could have been okay if not for the fact that he completely shattered his pelvis in qualifying. <laughs> still I gruesome. Think, yes, and that he's doing this now, that he's having this career resurgence at a time where most drivers are falling off. With a team that, once upon a time, was the utter laughingstock of the IndyCar paddock. I think it would be pretty amazing, and I think there would be a lot of people who would love to see Sebastian Bourdais cross off one more milestone in his already amazing career. And, of course, there is uh, Joseph Newgarden, a boy, nearly won in 2016, taken out in a wreck in 2017. He's the reigning champion. He's got the good looks. He's got the great personality. He's got everything going for him. Just needs to get to the end because in three of his past sit starts, he's not even seen the checkered flag, including taking getting taken out in a late pileup last year. 
yeah, pretty heaped second row to say the least as well. Now, the front row of the field. Um, he's, he's getting a knack of this oval stuff by now. On the outside of row one, Will Power in third place. In the middle, uh, Simon Pagina, who decided to copy Helio Castroneves' magnificent hair. Simon Pagina was disqualified from his hair being judged for this very reason. Um, but <laughs> but uh, my pick for pole position there in second place. But... <laughs> the minor surprise at the front. We thought it was going to be Team Penske versus the field. The field came through in the clutch. The only man of a 230 mile an hour lap um, during during the Fast 9 qualifying session and his third Indy 500 pole position with a 229.618 overall run. Our friend and yours, the hometown hero, Ed Carpenter. <laughs> Our father, Ed Carpenter. Let's talk about willpower first because he's... He's won a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, he is a former series champion. He has won a race every year since he has come over to the IndyCar series. If actually, even before the split, he has 12 consecutive winning seasons, including this year. Um, he is one of the greatest road and street course drivers over ever. Um, he's a lot better than people think on oval courses. He nearly won this race in 2015, and that's the closest that willpower one of the all-time greats in our sport has come to winning this race. Second, this is his 10th yeah. start for Penske. Penske, he has five top 10 finishes, two top fives, including that runner-up finish to Juan Pablo Montoya in a very, very close race. Um, Will Power would definitely be wise, like Bourdais, to cross this milestone off his checklist. He is eager and hungry to do so. And the same goes for Simon Pagenaud as well, who has finished every Indianapolis 500. He has started all six of them. He's going for his seventh. Now, in 2015, uh, that was his first year with Team Penske. And while most of that season was a wash, probably his best performance of the year came in that 2015 Indianapolis 500, um, where, he, uh, where he was leading with less than 30 laps to go uh, before he sunk down the field and finished 10th. We know Simon's got the car to do it. He's got the equipment behind him, and he's got the talent to do so. Uh, all he needs now is just to be able to be running up front at the finish. I certainly think he could do so. And then there is Ed Carpenter. Paris, Illinois, born, raised in uh, raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. Butler University graduate. Godson of Tony George, who basically founded the league that which we race in today, for better or worse. He has driven this event now. This will be his 15th start. He has won the pole three times, including this year. He is, um, he is very much the hometown sentimental favorite. He's a throwback to the old days. He's one of the last owner drivers and one of the last good owner drivers, especially in these confines. Um, but he is starting to run out of opportunities to get this milestone off his checklist. His best finish was back in 2008 when he finished fifth, when he was driving for his godfather's team. Mm -hmm. He's uh, failed to finish full three of the last four Indianapolis 500s. Um, but he has always been quick, and as long as he is reasonably quick at this event, Ed Carpenter believes he has a shot. A shot to win this race in front of his home crowd and take a very popular victory. I've compared him to the late... Gary Bettenhausen, who was also from Indiana and was also very quick at this event for and competed well into his late 50s and competed reasonably well by that. 
uh, but just could never win the race. Wow, and then there is your grid and starting order for the 102nd Indy 500 this Sunday. So, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you to nail your flag to the mast. Who do you think will win the 102nd Indy 500? Don't all rush in at once, people. <laughs> do I have to see who I want to win? No, no, you don't. Of course you want. Of course, of course, you want Zachary Clackery the Macquarie to win. Um, <laughs> okay, fellas, who yeah. do you reckon? Oh, my gut says pick Pagano. Pagano looks strong. Uh, he'll uh, he'll have a whole stable of teammates there to help him in the race. Uh, if they're not, you know, they're probably going to be out there to win it themselves, but, you know, it's always great to have the support of a team as large and as resourceful as Team Penske. I think this is Will Power's year to win the Indianapolis 500. I honestly, genuinely believe it because it is the one missing mantelpiece that he has long sought after in a great career, and I think this is finally the year, especially knowing how strong Chevy has been and how strong um, how strong Penske were in practice and qualifying. It would not surprise me. The thing is, it's always tough to pick a winner here because ever since 2012, it's been wide open. You know, last year was the first time we had a winner from the front from the Fast Nine qualifying session in a long time in that in that formula. It's yeah, the beauty of it all. <laughs> Um, who do I'm going to pick here? Mm. Eponymy wants to go Tony Kanaan from row four. I just have a hunch that him in that Foyt car, he's looked very strong pretty much all week. If I, if I was if I was a betting man, which I am, I might go Tony Kanaan here, but I'm going to actually agree with King and say I have a feeling it's going to be Simon Pagano's year. I said it on Twitter yesterday during a and I, I think I think this is the year Pagano puts it all together. I really do. I think you know he he's had experience of running up the front before. He's we've seen he's more than capable of it. Team Penske's been probably the best team at, at Indianapolis all week long. They've been excellent. Um and I think Pagano is due one of these. I really do. I think this is going to be his year. So if I'm I'm going to go actually agree with King and say Simon Pagano. Um, so look for Danica Patrick to win on Sunday and us for all to look <laughs> stupid. Um, because of that wouldn't surprise I, me in the least. No. Uh, I want. I really want Marco to get it. Of course you do. But if it's not, uh huh. I have sat here since 2016 when I unwittingly stuck it on. Sitting here wanting him to win this goddamn race, but if it's not him, I want Will. Those the, those are my two faves. They're like, I can see either of them winning. D yeah, like after them, probably Simon. But I want Marco or Will. <laughs> Just tell Will to recite the alphabet backwards. He'll win doing two hundred and thirty mile an hour laps the entire time. <laughs> He's got it in the bag, if you ask me. Um, so. There we have it, folks. Um, that is the grid for the for the 102nd Indy 500. It, of course, we will be broadcasting our live reaction to the whole event in the second half of Day of Classics 3, 
We still haven't got a subtitle for this shit yet. I'm sure we'll figure it out between now and Sunday. Um, as meant, Day of Classics with a Vengeance. <laughs> Day of Classics with a Vengeance. My, my personal favourite Die Hard movie. But, um, yes, I'm um, looking forward to that. Again, I will not be there for Monaco, but I will be there for the Indy 500. Um, obviously, Monaco will be at 10 past, I think it's 10 past 2 British Standard Time, live on YouTube. I'm sure we'll go about half an hour beforehand, at least in terms of pre-race coverage. And the Indy 500 itself, I believe, is... I want I want to say at four. I want to say British time. Um, when is it exactly, King? Do you have the, the official time on that? Um, oh God! Like my. Wait a sec. Yeah, I, I want to. Oh. It's <laughs> uh, Start the race is at five minutes past five British Standard Time. Okay, there you go. So again, we won't we won't be off for very long. We're between parts one and two. And if you're into NASCAR, the six the Coke six hundreds out there as well. So you know that's fine if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, yep, day of classics free live on YouTube. Me, RJ King, and probably some special guests too. Look forward to that a little bit nearer the time. But can't wait. Looking forward to that as always. Now, just just before we get out of dodge, basically you can find us one more time real quick. Um, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. That's where you can catch um, the Day of Classics live streams as well. So go over there and subscribe and ring the bell so you can find out when we actually go live. It's just useful, that. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, and our personal handles at Harrison101HD, at WeZoe, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. Um, don't forget, as well, if you, if you really like us, to back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live. Don't forget, episode 60 is live for that right now. Episode 61 is out later this week. As mentioned, all the talk from Le Mans. And I'm sure we'll mention... An, Jakob Cornfile's unbelievable save in the Moto3 race where he turns it into a motocross event. I have to name the episode after that now. It, it, it's a rule. Either that or I take the piss out of King and name it after the French accent. Or I call it La Marquesienne or something. <laughs> oh my god. Just to take the piss. Um, which, which I think is as great as it sounds. So all the action from Le Mans and a 40 minute sit down with Greg Haynes of British Hero Sport. Can't wait for that. It was my personal favourite interview I've done since I started being a pokey motorsport podcaster it was a great time um greg is a fantastic dude he's so generous of his time so thanks again to greg on that one me and lewis sudderby there for bike live later this week as well we'll be back next week with a day of classic special podcast reviewing the monaco grand prix and the 102nd indianapolis 500 until then i've been andre harrison they've been ryan king rj o'connell and zoe hamilton and until next time we'll catch you guys later sayonara Later, y'all. Bye. Bye. That was the that was the most <laughs> awkward King goodbye of them all, and we've done 140 shows. <laughs> you just don't know what the Indy 500 preview episode means, Drake. <laughs> clearly, I don't. The extra dedication is clearly very important. <laughs>